Welcome to the Small Church Podcast, the podcast for church leaders who want to make a difference in their communities. We're your hosts, Tony Marr and Bruce Montgomery, and we're excited to be with you today. On this podcast, we'll be discussing the latest trends, strategies, and ideas for effective leadership in small-sized churches. So whether you're a pastor, a ministry leader, or a volunteer, this podcast is for you. Each week, we'll bring you interviews with experienced church leaders who have valuable insights to share. We'll also explore topics like team building, community outreach, spiritual growth, and much more. So if you're looking for practical advice and inspiration to help you lead your church with excellence, you've come to the right place. The Small Church Podcast is brought to you by Higher Ministries. Higher Ministries is an organization that exists to help Christian leaders in the churches they serve through coaching and consulting, all for little or no cost. For more information on Higher Ministries or to find out more about the Small Church Podcast, please visit HigherMinistries.com. Thanks for tuning in to this week's edition of the Small Church Podcast. Well, welcome to the Small Church Podcast. I am Tony Marr, and I'm very excited to be with you here today. I have been looking forward to this episode for quite a while. Uh, we have a, a guest that I have been excited to spend some time talking with, I'm looking forward to what he has to say to all of you. And I know that for so many of you, today's episode is going to be very impactful. Our, our guest today is Pastor Joe McKeever, and, and Joe has been in ministry for for decades. He has not only been a small church pastor in, in many different congregations over the years, but he is a, a very well-accomplished author and writer of, of numerous books and articles. He is also a cartoonist that many of you out there have probably seen many of his cartoons. He writes for church leaders. He writes for many different publications, and he has spent his, his entire adult life dedicated to Christ and expanding the kingdom here on earth. And so, Joe, we are so honored to have you on the Small Church Podcast today. How are you this morning? Hi, Tony. I'm fine. It's good to be with you. It's great to be with you as well. Why don't you take just a minute and tell us a little bit about your your journey, your background, and what has <laughs> you so excited about the the work that you have done and are continuing to do through your writing and speaking with with small churches and churches in general all across the globe. Tony, Tony, I am eighty three years old. Wow. I'm sit, I'm sitting on my back porch right now in Ridgeland, Mississippi, and uh, my wife of nearly seven years and I say that this. Maybe our back porch, but it's heaven's front porch. <laughs> and uh, we love, we're, we're loving our lives these days. I am a son of an Alabama coal miner. Uh, we lived in West Virginia for a few years when I was a kid, North Alabama. I was saved when I was 11 years old in a free will Baptist church, the church that my mom and dad met in, in 1930. And um, <clears throat> it's the only church they ever belonged to. And when I was, um, and I was 11 years old, and 10 years later, when I was 21, and a senior in college in Birmingham, God called me to preach. And um, so I've been in the ministry since 1961. So we figure out that comes out to something like 62 years or something like this. And um, I'm hoping to figure this thing out one of these days. I'm still working. <laughs> I'm a work in progress. Aren't we all? Uh, and that's that's kind of yeah, that's kind of the fun fun thing about this. I um I went to New Orleans, went to seminary in New Orleans, pastored in in um, Louisiana, 
Mississippi, North Carolina, back in Louisiana, and now retired in uh, central Mississippi and preaching wherever the opportunities come in. Um, today is Wednesday. Um, last Sunday, I was in Cleveland, Mississippi at a wonderful church. And um, this month, I'll be in a couple of churches, one over in Louisiana and one um, somewhere <laughs> in, the, in Mississippi, up in Columbus, Mississippi. And I go wherever the vacations come in. You know, I do deacon retreats and things like this. So I'm trying to do, obey whatever the Lord You know, one of the things I tell uh, a part of my testimony is that when God called me into the ministry, the, the invitation to pray was not a call to preach. It was a, I, I'm, I remember distinctly the Lord saying, I want you in the ministry. Hmm. And um, I think it was a call to preach. But the truth is, I have been pastor, of course, for six, uh, six churches. But I've also been denominational worker for five, director of missions for all the Southern Baptist churches in the New Orleans area for five years. And at one point, I was assistant pastor of a church for, for three years. So, and uh, so, you know, I do whatever the Lord tells me to do. So, and same way you do, whatever the Lord lays on your heart. For example, when God called Tony Marr in the ministry, he probably did not say, I want you to do a podcast. Yeah, definitely not. <laughs> so he gave you, it was kind of a broader thing than that. And this is one of the avenues. And later you'll be doing other things. And it's kind of fun to see what the Lord has in store. Definitely. Well, Joe, you wrote an article that really caught my attention. I've read many, many of your articles. Uh, in, in fact, in in looking at your background, you have you've penned well over 150 articles that are published uh, on various sources. Um, and if you want to find the easiest way to catch up on Joe's articles, go to churchleaders.com. Also, you can go to hireministries.com or find us on Facebook or social media where we will be posting uh, several links to some of my favorite articles from Joe. But, but Joe, one caught my attention about mid-June that... Uh, the title of the article was 10 Reasons Why Small Churches Stay Small. And it, it really intrigued me because of the work that we do with small churches. And, and our heart with this podcast is to provide resources to smaller churches that probably don't have the financial capabilities of some of the larger congregations. They, they maybe don't have the opportunities that that larger congregations have. And so our ministry is uh, focused on helping small churches. And so your article really intrigued me. And, and in reading through it, I resonated so much with the things that you said, the points that you made. So I reached out to you to talk about being a guest on our podcast. And you told me that, that this article was actually something that you wrote about a decade ago. Uh, and you weren't even aware that church leaders had gotten a hold of it. Other publications had gotten a hold of it and had republished it out to, to the masses through their media platforms. Um, and yet in, in looking at this, in reading through your 10 reasons why small churches stay small, I feel like they're all still incredibly relevant today. So what caused you to put pen to paper or fingers to keyboard a decade ago and write this article on 10 reasons why small churches stay small? Probably the first reason was that 
I was doing my blog and I had to write something for that day. <laughs> uh, and so um, I'm, I don't remember exactly when I wrote it or what were, what were the reasons, you know, why I did. But anyway, um, the good thing about having a blog, you know, is that you get to share something and always, always have something to say. That's part of my, one of my, <laughs> one of my downfalls. Um, I do not have the gift of silence. And can I tell you a quick story about the gift of silence? Absolutely. Um, okay, years ago, I read um, the biography of John Adams, and uh, he was saying that he admired um, Thomas Jefferson so much because Jefferson had the gift of silence, and he could be quiet and just listen. And John Adams was loquacious. He did not have that gift. And so there was a time, this is back in, probably in the 1990s, and I was headed to a pastor's meeting, and on the way I prayed, Lord, please give me the gift of silence because I go to these meetings and I out-talk everybody there. <laughs> and afterwards, afterwards, I feel bad about it because I should have shut up and listened. Well, two hours later, I'm returning home, and I said, I'm having this conversation in the car out loud. I said, Lord, you didn't do it. I, I still talk, out-talked my friends around there. <laughs> and he said to me, spoke to my heart and said, silence is not a gift, it's a work. Hmm. You got to work at it. You don't just pray a quick prayer and you got it. And so, boy, ever since then, I've been trying to discipline myself when I go to gatherings with preachers and, and you know, to be quiet and listen, and I'm still working at it. Well, um, I, I, I had the pastor, I pastored six churches. The first three churches I pastored were small. The last three were rather large. Now, Tony, you and I have not had discussion about how you define a small church. And I am assuming that you don't have a definition because what might be a small church to one person might be uh, pretty large to other. For example, if you've been running 30 in your church for 100 years, the very idea of running 100 would just be phenomenal. Right. And you'd look on that almost like being a large church. So here's what I did. My first church was before I ever went to seminary, I had graduated from college, gotten married. I had majored in history. I um, I knew nothing about preaching other than the fact that I had heard preaching a lot. So I'm pastoring Unity Baptist Church in Kimberly, Alabama, a church running 35. Now, I worked in town in Birmingham during the week and pastored this church on Wednesday night and Sunday when I would drive up. Uh, they're running 30, 35 when I went, and a year and two months later when I left, they're still running 35. So I didn't do them any harm. I don't know that did them any good. But at any rate, uh, I needed the experience, and they gave it to me. So I go off to seminary, and and when I, at the end of my first year in seminary, I pastor a, I'm called to pastor a Cajun church about 25 miles west of New Orleans, a little town called Paradis, spelled like paradise, but without the E on them. It was located on Alligator Bayou. 
And the day they called me as pastor, April 25 of 1965, I'm standing at the front door shaking hands with people leaving. Now, this church was 20 years old, and it had been running 40 for the last few, last probably hours of life. And so I'm shaking hands with people leaving. I heard one man say to another, well, this church is doing about all it's ever going to do. Well, that was the best thing that he could have done. It was like saying sickum to me. <laughs> and uh, I decided, we'll show you, mister. And so I was reading the minutes of the church, and I, I noticed that the church was coming up on its 20th anniversary in a month. So I just got up, you know, a small church, you just get up and announce. You don't ask for permission, you just announce that um, a month from now, on May the 20th, we're going to have um, a reunion, a homecoming, 20th anniversary. And I said, if we hit 65 in attendance, I'll sing you a solo. Now, they didn't know I had never sung a solo in my life. <laughs> and somebody said, preacher, you might should have said 55. I said, no, we'll hit it. Well, we did. We hit 67. And we continued going from there. And I stayed two years and a half. And when I left, we were running 110 with folding chairs down the aisles. And so I had learned a few things. And one of the things I'd learned was to put your church, let the community know you're here. So I had a devotional in the weekly local newspaper. And, um, and then when I started doing cartoons, they, put, they let me run a cartoon with it. So I didn't pay them anything, but they gave me a half a page in each issue, each weekly issue of that newspaper. And, um, so it was like telling people, hey, there's a church down here in Paradise. So suddenly we start having visitors. And so that was the basic thing that happened there. I grew up to pastor in Greenville, Mississippi, a church that's running 140. And, um, and so when I left three years and two months later, we were running about 240, maybe 230. And by that, what had happened there, we just had a good revival. And so that was the first, that was the three smaller churches that I pastored. So I'm sitting down figuring, okay, why do small churches tend to stay small? Now, why don't I just go through the list here, Tony, the, uh, the 10 reasons I came up with. Yeah. One, they like it that way. Mm -hmm. um, we, like, we like a small church. Somebody told me that just last week. I said, why don't y'all go join when the churches, they, was, they had pulled out of a church that was going to start a new one. And I said, you got so many small churches in that area. Why don't you go join one of those other churches? And she just said, we like a small church. Well, that's one of the reasons the small churches tend to say small. People like it that way. Secondly, they often have a quick turnover of pastors. I had a pastor tell me one time that he was preaching in church below New Orleans and just guest preaching. And he spent the afternoon, he didn't have anything to do, so he goes into the church office and just reads the minutes of the past, discovered that in their 30-year history, they'd had something like 15 pastors. Wow. Now, I got two years of pastor, but he said, counting the interim time, they probably had a year and a half for each pastor. He said they didn't have pastors, they had preachers. Well, a lot of churches have quick turnover pastors, and you're not going to grow a church with very short-term pastors. Right. And third reason, 
is that in, in a lot of small churches, you have a few strong church members who dominate. And it's like um, a friend of mine wrote a book called The Theory, The Bonsai Theory of Church Growth. Now, bonsai, you know, little, little bit of miniature Japanese oh, yeah. trees. I've got one in my house here. So do I. And, okay, good. Well, he said one of the things you do to keep it small is you take it out and clip off the roots. And um, so it will stay fitting in that pot that you've got in. If you don't, it's going to outgrow it. And so a few church, strong church members often dominate a small church and keep it from growing. Mm -hmm. Well, the fourth reason is kind of the opposite of that, and that is they get leaders, but they don't trust them. So they have a business meeting, monthly business meeting, in which every dime is accounted for, and they'll have a discussion about two dollars that they spent and questioning so not they don't trust their leaders they're like two strong leaders and turn them loose let them do their job number five is inferiority complex well we can't do anything we're small we don't have the resources like the big church in town so they are doing they're doing the devil's work to themselves his job is to discourage them they're discouraging themselves hmm. And number six, they have no plans for growth, no vision, and they're just sitting there. So their main job in their minds is just to get through another week. Number seven is bad health. Constant infighting and arguing among themselves, bickering. Number eight is poor fellowship. I have a theory telling you that when people visit your church, they may say they're looking for a good, strong Bible-believing church, or they're looking for a church with a lot of good ministries. But what they're number one, they're looking for a church with great fellowship. And by that, I mean a church where people love the Lord, love each other, and big deal, welcome the newcomers to the midst. And so the strong love between them. So. Uh, that's number seven, bad health. And number eight is poor fellowship, a failure to love one another. So these kind of fit in together. And number nine is a state of neglect often permeates the church. Uh, places need painting, bathroom is dirty, the yard is grown up, the sign is rusted. And so that just that discourages anybody from ever coming back. Yeah. And the last one up said with no prayer people not praying probably should have started with that i think i probably wrote this article on a stream of consciousness just wrote these things as they came to me <laughs> but those are my 10 reasons why i figured the small churches tend to stay, stay small and i will say this you know they say that all generalizations are false including this one and i think these are generalizations no church has all 10 of these characteristics, sure. but a lot of small churches have some of these. Yeah. And Joe, I would like to dive into some of these a little bit deeper in the work that that we do with small churches. And, and I'm fortunate enough to, like you, get to spend a lot of time in a lot of different churches. Um, and I'm going this afternoon to meet with a church who just lost their minister, and we're talking about stepping in to help them with the interim. Uh, ministry there, but a lot of the things that that I'm really intrigued by in your article 
the churches don't even realize. And, and so they're they're living these things, they're experiencing these things, but they don't even realize that. And your very first one, wanting to stay small, I loved one of the things that you said there, that you said, oftentimes it's not even recognized by the church. I think all Christians by default, all church leaders would say that they want to reach new people for, for Christ, that, that they want to see new people right. coming into their church, but they really don't want to see people coming to their church. Uh, they, they want to right. see new believers, but you can go somewhere else because really we've got our comfort zone. We've got our church that we've been a part of for years. Our family has started this church. Granddad used to be the pastor at this church. And you can see it in, as you talk about in one of the later uh, 10, in the way that they treat visitors. That there's not a sense right. of excitement. Right. There's there's not a, an outpouring of welcoming uh, and and joy to see new people come. Why do you think that is beyond just the the obvious that it breaks us out of our comfort? I tell you, I tell you what it makes me think. I think um, you'll take a women's Sunday school class. Let's let's just say these are the older women, and they have these ten women have been in this class for years. They know each other's birthdays. They know the name of each other's grandchildren. And when they meet, they're going to meet over at Susie's house, and next week we'll be at Mary Jane's house. Okay, so now a visitor comes to their class, and they welcome that visitor, but that visitor knows real quickly that she is not going to be invited back, because they'll, they'll talk about these things now, we, we had a good meeting over at Julia's house Tuesday night, and this Wednesday night, you know, we're meeting over at Mary Jane's house. And so they talk about these things, and they basically freeze out the the visitor. I, I tell pastors, and this is especially true of small churches, um, a pastor will get up and say, well, I'm calling on Brother Tom to lead the prayer. Tom leads the prayer. Well, the visitor has no idea who Tom is. The pastor will say, let me ask Tom Jones to lead our prayer. And Tom Jones stands up over here. So the visitor knows, okay, this is, this is who it is. Somebody gets up in the small church and says, okay, the youth are meeting over at Tommy's house tonight at the church, and you all know what to bring. Well, the visitor doesn't know who Tommy is or what to bring. So without realizing it, they have just sent him a signal, you are not welcome. The truth is, they'd like to have him, but they get into a pattern of doing these things, and they need to start thinking about what can we do to make the newcomer feel like he's welcome. You remember in Leviticus 19, now Leviticus 19 is where our Lord got the line about, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Well, in there, God says how that Israel is to be, is to be fair, and welcoming to the strangers and foreigners in their midst, because he said, you were strangers in Egypt. So you know what it feels like. So what I would tell people sometimes, they join my church, and I'd say, say to them in private, listen, you know what it's like to be a newcomer. So I want you to welcome newcomers and make them feel welcome. Because sometimes the church members have lost that edge, but the newcomer who joins 
can bring a fresh infusion of this kind of concern. Yeah. So, Joe, most of our listeners are church leaders or or pastors. We don't uh, that I'm aware of. We don't have a lot of people that are listening to the small church podcast that are just attenders of a church. And so, if for the the small church pastor who's listening right now, or an elder or deacon at a small church that is saying, you know, this is us. This is our church that that I want us to grow, I want us to reach new people, I want us to uh, have an impact in our community, Uh, but so many of the people in my church, this is them, this is their mindset, mindset that they like things the way that they are. What can they do to kind of break through those barriers that the people of their congregation have? They can lead. You know, Judges chapter 5 and verse 2 has a wonderful verse there. This is uh, the song of Deborah, and um, and it starts off that the leaders led in Israel, and that the people volunteered. Oh, bless the Lord! Hmm. Now, stop and think about that. The leaders led, and the people volunteered. Now, that's the way you get things done. Now, you and I have seen churches where the leaders were not leading. Right. Now, if the leaders are not leading, but people are volunteering, nothing gets done. And if the people, if the leaders are trying to lead and nobody's volunteering, nothing gets done. It takes both out. And of course, we've seen churches where nobody's leading and nobody's volunteering, and we call those dead. <laughs> but but the idea is for the leaders to lead and the people to volunteer. So, and the great thing about a small church is that. As a rule, a leader can step up and do something without having to have a vote. Now, if you want to have a vote, then you, have, you know, work with that. But when a lot of things that we do, you don't have to vote on it. Just go do it. For example, I was pastoring that um, my, my seminary pastor, the church on the Alligator Bayou, and I noticed that that there were things. That, it was like they had done some renovation, but they hadn't finished it. And so we needed the flooring put down, you know, the linoleum put down, things like this, need some paints. So I just announced one day that two Saturdays from now we're going to have a work day and start talking it up. And people came and they painted and put down linoleum and everything. And it looked great. And so I was a leader. I was not leading maybe the right way, but for a small group, you can get by with that. Now, you, you get a bigger church, you've got to talk to individuals and go through, you know, the protocols to get something done. Hey, what if we did this? And, um, for example, one time I was passing one of these larger churches, and I asked two or three of the ladies, walk around the church open every closet door and make a list of things that need to be done around here. And they found closets where stuff had been stored in there since the Civil War and, um, you know, just all sorts of, and came up with a list. Well, you know, so I've already got them on board and they'll get their husbands on board. And so we had, you know, we had a work day and we had, in fact, for a while, we had a work day about every three months. And really made it look good. So, you know, the huge church will pay people to do these things, mm-hmm. but but that's a mistake because I think people 
enjoy working. Again, in the book of Nehemiah, I think it was the last chapter of Nehemiah, God says, why is the house of God neglected? Well, some of our Lord's houses are neglected, and it's the fault of the people who belong to that church. So if I was the pastor of one, I'd just say, let's do something about this. So if you can shame them a little bit, you don't have to shame them bad, but just say, you know, this is embarrassing. Uh, when my wife and I visited here the first Sunday, saw the bathroom, you know, man, you know, weren't, there were no towels out, you know, and, and had the sink. Okay, so let's do something about this. And so you can do this, and you'll have a volunteer who would love to take responsibility for the bathroom. I was a, I'm, I'm a sketch artist, and I was drawing for a church, uh, for a wedding in Mobile. And uh, so suddenly I'm drawing my, my daughter-in-law. My daughter-in-law is a pastor's administrative assistant in a, in a church in Mobile, a different church. And uh, so I drew Julie, and then I drew Angie. And I said, Angie, what are you doing? Angie said, um, oh, oh, Julie said, Angie is on staff at our church. And I said, oh, it's good to meet you, Angie. So I drew I said, so Angie, what do, you, what do you do at the church? And she said, I clean the toilets. And she laughed, kind of embarrassing. I said, Angie, thank you for cleaning the bathrooms because that really matters. It matters to the Lord Jesus. Yeah. And so ever since then, I have I made a cartoon about that where somebody is saying, I am cleaning bathrooms for Jesus. And it's kind of been around the world. And so I made sure that Angie got a copy of that little cartoon. Because that. what you're doing may not seem like much to you, but man, if it's if it's Represent making the Lord's church better. Wow, Absolutely. he's honored by this. Absolutely, he's honored by it. Yeah, Joe. One of the trends that I've been seeing in in our churches over the the last several years, we where I'm at here in East Tennessee, we have a Bible college and a seminary uh, within 15 minutes of me, and so our ministry gets the opportunity to work with young men and women who are, are going into ministry or who are graduating either from Bible college or seminary and looking for positions. We also, because of our work with small churches, uh, we are very often helping churches in their search for new staff. And one of the things that I have been seeing a lot of, hearing a lot of out of Bible college and seminary students that are graduating and looking for positions is that... If they're going to take a job at a smaller church, it's just temporary while they are in school because their aspirations are for larger churches. And so I read your yes. number yes. two, your quick turnover of pastors, and this is something that I'm seeing on repeat here. Within our, our little community in East Tennessee, we have over 750 churches within a 30-minute radius. Uh, and, wow. and just in the last couple of years, in post-COVID world that, that we're living in now, we have seen the number of turnover of, of new pastors that we have when we go to our our ministers' meetings, our, our pastors' local gatherings and meetings for, for networking. The number of new pastors almost every time is astonishing. In fact, I can think off the top of my head, I have a pretty good relationship and pretty good insight into uh, the vast majority of the churches in our area. 
there are only a handful of pastors that have been at their churches for more than five years. Uh, and this quick turnover of pastors, I think, is, is really troubling and very detrimental to the growth of, of the kingdom. Right. It's going, to, it's going to do one of two things. One is it's going to leave a church without leadership, or it will create a situation where laymen step up and become the leaders, and then some of them will become a problem for a pastor coming in, and all that does is just break the problem. You, um, It's going to make sure that no pastor stays long if you have some strong lay people who are calling shots. I'm remembering a friend of mine who was in college, so and he went to pastor church about an hour's drive away from, from where we lived at him. And uh, so they voted on him as pastor. And afterwards, the key layman in the church said to him, Now, Brother Bill, I want you to know that we will never, ever tell you what to preach. However, don't you ever tell us how to run our church. And Bill said, I was so stupid, I went along with that. I said, well, that wasn't exactly stupid on your part. That was probably the right thing to do because you were 19 years old and you were only there on weekends. And so they had to pass to the church during the week. But, but still, if he lived there, moved there and lived on the field, and they still had that situation, that would be bad. So I'm not saying that it's always bad, but sometimes it is. Yeah. Your next one, dominated by a few strong members. I think that small churches, that's that's seen in, in the vast majority of small churches, that you've got one <laughs> or two dominant families or one or two dominant people that feel like this is their church and things are going to go the way that they say they're going to go. If you are a, a new pastor in that church, which, as we just talked about, a, a lot of them are, I think that if you've, if you've established credibility and you've been in the congregation for a long time, you have the relational experience with those people that that you have a little bit more luck in containing them and 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 taking them to the side but if you're a new if you're a new pastor in a church that you've just stepped in and you see that there's one or two families or one or two people that are really directing the church um, and you as a pastor feel that the Lord is calling you and calling your congregation to do something else. What advice would you give to someone in that position on how they can uh, come alongside those strong members, have a, an influential relationship with them and maybe help them to see that there might be another way? I would tell them two things. One is Acts chapter 20 and verse 28 says the Holy Spirit makes the pastor the overseer of the church. The word overseer is episkopos, literally means supervisor, overseer. Okay. Second thing I'd say to them is that, but you have to earn that. You have to earn that. And so the new pastor coming in, he, he should never, ever pull rank because, well, I'm the pastor. No, 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 no. Earn the right. So you earn it by ministering to the people, by loving them and being there for them. So visiting with them, being there with them in their crisis moments, call them up. Use the cotton paint and phone, man. Call people. 
take their phone, take their church member list and just call people. How are you doing? This is Brother Joe. Just want to see how you're doing today. Anything I can do for you? I was, uh, I, I, I wrote about this the other day. Uh, there was a time when, in one of my churches, um, we were going to be having an ice cream fellowship at the church in a couple of weeks. So I was going to, uh, we needed 15 freezers of ice cream. So I told the staff, I will call church members because I knew if I turned it over to a certain staff member, all he'd do on Sunday is get up and announce it. And it's real easy to say no when it's a public announcement. But if I call you and ask you, then it's very hard for you to say no. Okay, so I, when, when I got through doing this, I got the 15 phrases, but I made a discovery. I did more ministry in two hours of phone calling than I had done probably in the last two months. People telling me about divorces, marriages, hospitalizations, various crises. I prayed with them. And thereafter, I would just take the phone book down, you know, I mean, the membership, and start calling people, not ask them to make a freeze of ice cream, just see how they're doing. And so the other thing is that I tell pastors, write notes to people. And it can be a, a, a note of two sentences. Hey, that was a great solo you sang Sunday. Thank you for that. Or, man, thank you for leading the vacation Bible school. Or, thank you for teaching the third grade in Bible school. That was wonderful. You did a great job. If you will do that, people will keep those notes. These days, Tony, people don't get much mail. And if they get a letter from the pastor bragging on them, they will keep that letter. And of course, I tell people a great thing about being a cartoonist is you send somebody a note and they frame it. So I do that a lot too. And I have people send me notes, you know, because I'm on Facebook, you know, and have the 5,000 friends and people send me notes. I still have the one that you did for me, you know, in 1973 or 1983. And so a note, uh, earning the right, by being there for them, visiting them in the hospital, um, or that sort of thing. Uh, you know, uh, some in small churches, some small some small church pastors are non-resident, and they just they fly they drive in for the weekend, and boy, that's a terrible. It's terrible on the preacher. It's terrible on the church, and I, in my experience, I have not ever known a church to grow when the pastor is a non-resident. Yeah, yeah. You have to get somebody who lives there, somebody who is with them during the week. And so I think that's a big thing. Yeah, I agree. Joe, one of the things that, that I would love to get your thoughts on that I've seen a lot in churches that we've worked with, small churches especially, that the person who is that that leader that dominates everything is a retired pastor. Uh, <laughs> oftentimes, retired pastor from that church that they they retired and that church loves them and now they're a regular attender there that is still their home church and everyone still looks to them as the leader of the church even though they've been retired for 15 years. Or maybe it's someone who retired from another church, moved to the area, and thinks that they know everything because of their 40 years in ministry. How do you, first off, what would you say to that pastor, that retired pastor who is 
now in a lay position within the church. And then what would you say to the young leader in the church, the young pastor of that church in dealing with that <coughs> former pastor or retired pastor who thinks that it's still their church to run from afar? I would say to the young pastor, you are in a no-win position. Hmm. There's no way you can <clears throat> unseat that guy. So you're going to have to try to make the most of it. Now, and so you know, to love him, appreciate him, brag on him publicly if you can, and uh, <clears throat> let them see that you are not his competition. But I would say to the old guy, get the heck out of there, man. Go find <laughs> you another church. In fact, I've actually told this. I, I was doing revival for a, church, a pastor of a, of a large church in Atlanta, and the pastor told me that he did all of the church visit, I mean, all of the hospital visitation himself. Now, as I say, it's a large church, and Atlanta has how many hospitals? Hmm. So he, but he did all the hospital visitation. And I said to him, you know, the pastor who follows you is going to have a real problem because he's going to want to use his staff to help out, and the people are going to compare you and him. Well, Brother So-and-So was here when, and, and, um, and it turned out when he retired, he stayed in the church. The church gave him the parsonage as a going away gift. And <clears throat> the next pastor, as it turned out, was a friend of mine. And uh, I, he and I had been neighboring pastors at one place. And the former pastor gave him fits because nothing the pastor did was pleasing to him. And so what you ended up with is that young pastor, the new pastor, left after two or three years <clears throat> and then the old guy died and sometimes I have seen this where the old guy does not live many years and to me what it feels like to me is that God says I need to get you out of the way so this church can go forward and so the one I have sent there can minister because right now you are a problem now the way the old guy gets to be so influential in the church often is that they go through these interim times without leadership, without a pastor, until they look to him. But he has to be able to step back. But unfortunately, some retired pastors need the affirmation, need the <clears throat> identity that it gives them the satisfaction that I'm still on the front line. Well, we all want to be on the front line. I tell you, I'm 83, you know. I love it when I get an invitation to preach somewhere. But, man, I don't want to dominate any church, and I sure appreciate these young pastors, and I love them and encourage them everywhere I can, and, and, and that's what we need to do. So I'd say to the, young, the new pastor, you're in a no-win situation. I'd say to the old pastor, man, you need to get out. In fact, I actually told pastor in New Orleans then, um, a friend of mine, <clears throat> he had retired and stayed in that church. And the new pastor came and was having problems. I said to the old guy, hey, man, you, you need to leave. Go, on, go over and join First Baptist New Orleans. Mm. And he said, well, Joe, I'd like to. But he said, the church members come to me and thank me for staying. And I named him, and I said, you know, you don't owe them anything. You have paid your dues now. And the truth is, Brother Paul, the new pastor, 
would probably appreciate it if he had a free hand. Well, my friend went over, he and his wife joined First Baptist New Orleans. He became a Sunday school teacher, and they loved life. And every time I'd go by there, you know, they were having a great time. And the young guy at the other church, I won't say he did really well because that church was actually kind of in a dying situation, but he did a lot better than he would have done had my other friends stayed there. So sometimes you just need, you need somebody who will talk straight to him and tell him to, to play needs to do. Well, that is all the time that we have for this edition of the Small Church Podcast. There is much more to discuss with pastor and author Joe McKeever as we're working through his article, 10 Reasons Why Small Churches Stay Small. We will continue this conversation next week with part two of the Small Church Podcast. In the meantime, if you would like to reach out to Joe, find more information on his writings or his work, you can find him at joemckeever.com. That's J O E. M-C-K-E-E-V-E-R. As always, you can find us at higherministries.com or find us on Facebook. Be sure to subscribe to the Small Church Podcast wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And we look forward to joining you again next week for part two of our conversation with pastor, author, and cartoonist Joe McKeever on 10 Reasons Why Small Churches Stay Small. Have a great rest of your week.